what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, we'll share an article with some habits to improve you being a boss. We have a special guest today. Tema Frank is our guest. She's an expert in marketing, business strategy, and customer service. We'll discuss Tema's new book, People Shock, The Path to Profits When People Rule, and how that, uh, what implications there are for small business. And finally, we'll wind up with our Small Business of the Month feature, where we'll highlight businesses we've come across that you should be checking out. Welcome. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host. I'm director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is dean of the School of Business Industry and Technology at Catawba Valley Community College. Gary, how are you doing today? Jeff, doing great. It's been a busy summer, and we're right in the middle of the summer right now, and it's hot as blazes. It's hot as blazes. We're here in beautiful North Carolina toward the end of June, and... uh, uh, I want to congratulate Gary in that uh, last week he was in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, participating in a competition called Skills USA, which uh, community colleges, high schools uh, participate in on a variety of subjects. And for the second consecutive year, uh, our college's entrepreneurship team won first place in the, in the national competition. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. And I congratulate you because we uh, co-advised our teams and they did extremely well. We're very proud of them. And we, we also had a high school team that we work with that finished fourth in the nation. Exactly. So, and, exactly. And, and, and Gary's a very modest man in his role. He's working with many different types of teams from our college and they did, they did very, very well. So we're, we're happy, uh, happy that you survived Kentucky with, with uh, uh, all your students and came back intact and, and you're, you haven't quit your job or anything. No, all is good. It's a labor of love, as we say. But it was 95 degrees up there, which uh, made it a little bit challenging, but all is good. Well, we, we always talk a little bit about an article uh, when we start off, and, and I was flipping through my recent uh, edition of Inc. Magazine, and there was an article with the four habits of exceptional bosses from from Bill Murphy Jr. And and I guess when I, you know, you and I both works with startups and small businesses, and we often find that when someone starts a business, they're doing everything. And as they start to grow and have employees, sometimes that uh, transition to managing people can be a challenge. So I thought that this would be applicable and relevant to our our audience. I was telling Gary beforehand, I had actually pulled a, a different article to talk about, uh, which uh, I had found was uh, some uh, was a fellow from the Kaufman organization was talking. The Kaufman Foundation was talking to folks in Washington about how they can improve uh, uh, startups and the environment for entrepreneurship. And then I looked at it again, and it was written in in uh, such uh, bureaucratic. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if it was English. I'm not sure what it was, but it, was, <laughs> it did not seem that helpful. So we wanted to focus on ways that we can help our listeners. So. So four habits of exceptional bosses. Number one, they avoid assumptions. Instead of taking things at face value, great leaders ask probing questions to gain clarity. I think that's really important. I mean, I love the the pivot to this article because I think this is more real for us uh, in 
trying to help all sizes of business, but particularly small business. And I think, yeah, not assuming anything is a, a good way to be. You don't necessarily want to be always the doubting Thomas to uh, be uh, negative with your employees or uh, folks you're dealing with, but you need to make sure that it makes sense when people are talking to you. Well, I, I know that you're a, uh, you, you come from the accounting background, so I suspect data always uh, resonates more with you. Yes, it does. And even though I, I like all phases of business, I think I usually gravitate back to give me the details and make sure that it, uh, it supports what we're doing, and then I'm ready to go off and running. Number two, exceptional bosses are empathetic Can you see the world through others' eyes? Effective leaders hear and understand where their employees are coming from. I think that's really important, too. You need to understand who they are and where they're coming from, just like it says in the article, their perspective, because everybody hopefully is going to come from a little bit different angle because you don't want to have everybody thinking the same and have that group speak. Uh, So you need to understand where they're coming from. Number three, exceptional bosses can accept blame. Successful bosses own up to it when they're at fault and when the staff comes up short. Uh, you know, I, I always like the people who I, – I, I, some, some of my friends can make me grief about this, but you, know, you and I are both sports fans, football fans, and, uh, and Carolina Panther fans because of where we live. And, and the, one of the quarterbacks that used to play for the Panthers was a fellow named Jake DeLome who had some very good years, had some pretty tough years. That's correct. It always struck me as uh, when, when things went poorly, he was the one that took the blame. When things went well, he was very quick to, to congratulate and, and say that's because of the work his teammates did. I think that's a tremendous trait. I mean, I think uh, when things are going poorly, if the leader is willing to accept the blame, uh, it, it shelters other people. But I also think it makes the people working with them feel much better about that person and they will work harder in the future and then when things are going well you don't need to um, take the credit the credit will come to you and so i think that works uh, even more so when things are going well and the fourth and last habit of exceptional bosses at least in this article i suspect there are more is that they have a sense of humor best leaders know how to laugh even and especially at themselves well i think it's critical to have a good sense of humor and so people enjoy being around you and when things are tough you do need to have an opportunity to laugh and smile and uh, when things are going well everybody laughs and smiles but you need to be able to uh, be easy to get along with and having a good sense of humor makes that work well i think it uh, certainly makes uh, for a much more inviting uh, in work environment if you know there are a few laughs out there yeah so. well we're working a lot of hours of the day so you want to have fun yeah so well and anyway. you have a tremendous sense of humor that's a good one gary okay <laughs> um anyway we'd like to try to provide some practical thoughts there so hope that as your business is growing those are some traits that you can embrace and now we're very pleased to, uh, to, to bring in Tema Frank, uh, who is with us from uh, beautiful Alberta, Canada. Tema, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, Tema is a best-selling author. She's a speaker and consultant. She's got uh, over three decades' experience in business and marketing strategy, uh, customer experience improvement. She uh, has... I, I, Tema, I don't mean to this to sound bad, but it sounds like you've been 
on the internet, uh, working with web-based things since about when the internet uh, became open to the public and, and commercialized. Absolutely. So, uh, in fact, uh, I started using email before it was open to the public. Back in the days when it was just academics who had it, and uh, I remember taking my first lesson on how to browse the internet before the World Wide Web happened. And it was all mosaic and all these weird tools. And and you had a you started a company in uh, two thousand one called Web Mystery Shoppers Incorporated. That's right. And and you guys uh, sounds like you must have done a lot of work trying to assess uh, customer reaction to various websites and and customer research. Yep, websites and the web related customer service. So. We get people who were a demographic match to a client's target market to try out their website, give them detailed feedback about where they were hitting barriers and what was frustrating. And then we do things like call the call center and find out if they even had a clue what was on the website. And uh, congratulations are in order in that uh, you've got a new book that is now available called People Shock, The Path to Profits When People Rule. Especially so, when customers rule. I'm, I'm sorry, yes. when customers no rule. Yep. And so, so tell, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the impetus for your book and, and uh, the sort of research uh, that, that you put into it. Absolutely. Well, the impetus for the book really started probably at the beginning of my career. I've always been very customer-focused, and you know maybe it's because one of my early jobs was as a lobbyist in the banking industry, as I used to joke, defending the indefensible. <laughs> but uh, always been very aware of the importance of serving the ultimate customer well and making sure that things work easily for the pub, for the customers. So I've sort of worked on aspects of that for many iterations. And um, over the last few years, I really started looking much more at what we call omni-channel customer experience. So how do you ensure that customers are getting a great experience no matter where and when they choose to deal with you? So whether it's online or in your store or wherever, it should be consistently good. And I have my own podcast where I started interviewing experts and entrepreneurs and business leaders in this area. So the podcast is called Frank Reactions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in total, I've interviewed, before writing the book, I interviewed about 150 experts and leaders about their experiences with customer experience and how to make it better and how to help your organization become much more customer-focused and to improve its profits as a result. And and as you've been doing that research, I guess you find that uh, companies – get that information from their customers in different ways? And uh, are, are there any uh, lessons that come out of that or, or best practices in terms of how businesses should be connecting with their customers to, to make sure that they're meeting their needs and knowing what they want? Honestly, I think the most important thing, especially for small businesses, is simply talking to their customers. I know that sounds really obvious, but often it isn't, especially as your business is growing and you're getting really busy and you're sort of spread super thin. Taking the time to just touch base with existing customers to make sure everything's still good. And just, you know, call a random selection of customers one or two every week and just say, you know, just wanted to 
find out how things are going in your business, whether we're meeting your needs, whether there are things we could be doing better, and just really making those close connections in person, which really gives you great insight. Well, and I think uh, when you say call a few customers each week, to me, one of the things that's important is being proactive in doing that. I think uh, uh, too often people get uh, so so uh, tied up working in their business they don't get a t- chance to work on their business and take a step back and figure out what's working what's not working so yeah. uh, making sure that you've got time built in to to get that feedback to search for that feedback has uh, got to be critical it is especially critical and i think one of the common mistakes that i see actually in businesses of all sizes is there's this assumption that if i don't hear anything everything's okay And that's not usually true. If you don't hear anything, that may simply be because they've given up on you and they're looking elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Too many people uh, uh, can uh, find comfort in the ivory tower and uh, not want to come down and and see what's going on. And and, uh, that's that's, uh, a mistake that can get you into big trouble quickly. Absolutely. You've been involved with... uh, looking at websites, working on the internet for many years, but it, it feels like over the last five years that we've seen such an explosion of uh, the use of social media and digital, digital marketing, and, and, and it feels like that's having such an impact on the way businesses operate. Uh, how, how, is, how is that changing uh, customer service and, and how businesses are interacting with their customers? Uh, That's a really great question because it's actually having a huge impact. And that was part of what inspired me to write the book. Because what has happened is a few things. One is because of digital media and standards set by some of the leading organizations online is customer expectations have increased. So people are not willing to accept the level of service that they used to. The Internet also means they can find out about competition way more easily. So it's a lot easier for them to ditch you and go with somebody else. Competition for most business categories is now global. So, yeah, if you're a local dry cleaner, no problem. It's harder for them to go elsewhere, although they could go to another local dry cleaner is a bit further away. But for most businesses, you can find all kinds of competitors from all over the U.S. or the world. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, it's really changed that. And then the final area where it's got a huge impact is that if people are unhappy with you, they can share that with millions of people really quickly. Likewise, though, if they're happy with you, they can and do do the same thing. And and, and to me, that's... uh... Are, are, are there hard and fast rules for how you should be dealing with that sort of feedback? I, I know that uh, you know, I, I always worry about uh, people are more are, are people more likely to share negative reviews than positive reviews? You know, we you know we we look at the news today. It's not going to report that millions of planes landed safely. Uh, <laughs> you know, and if, but if if one doesn't, we're going to hear all about it. Uh, uh, you know how. How, are the, how do those dynamics work in business these days, and what recommendations do you have for businesses on how they should respond to those sort of reviews that are out there? Well, I think there's a big difference between how the media works and how individuals work. So from what I can see, and I, I've got to admit I don't have hard and fast data on this, but from what I can see, individuals, people dealing with businesses, are equally likely to share praise as criticism. You're quite right, though. The media will pick up on the negative. 
So you, ha- you have to be aware of both. And from the viewpoint of how to deal with it, first of all, make sure you're monitoring. Make sure you know what's going on. Set up even at the minimum a basic Google alert, which you can do easily. Just Google Google alerts and you'll find out how. And so that anytime anybody mentions your name, your company name, you could even set it up to use keywords that relate to your type of business, you'll get pinged. You'll get notified by Google about what's being said. Um, Likewise, if you're on any social media, all the social media tools let you do that as well so that you can respond very quickly. Because one of the big challenges with social media is people expect almost real-time response. And that's really tricky, especially for small businesses. But you can't ignore that that has become the reality. So you set up systems to try and help you deal with it. Then as far as praise goes, you want to thank people. As far as criticism goes, you want to talk to them. Because somebody who's gone to the effort of criticizing, often those people can be turned around and become your greatest supporters. So, But to do that, you need to start off by... A, responding quickly, B, apologizing sincerely for the fact that something went wrong, whether or not you feel it was your fault. And then C, say, look, I'd like to talk to you more and figure out how we can solve this. And then you encourage them to get offline to discuss it. So you say, you know, this this is, may take a little bit more in-depth discussion than we can manage over Twitter or whatever. Um, and then you give them choices. You don't force them to call you. You say you could either call me or email or reply in a direct message and let's see what we can do to try and make this right. Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, we were talking the the article that Gary and I were talking about earlier talked about empathy. And uh, I I think that that uh, would be a very useful trait when it comes to those sort of conversations with uh, customers. And and I also I I think one of the things that you said that that strikes me is, is pretty important in that I've got two kids who uh, one one is in college one is uh, a rising senior in high school and and they you know you, you just watch them do so much online and and communicate with one another and with organizations uh through social media through everything uh you know responding online but uh giving them the opportunity to resolve issues uh offline in person or or in a variety of different ways you know i i uh sometimes get frustrated with people having uh long conversations via text it sort of makes me want to bang my head against the wall it's like why don't you <laughs> why don't you call them you know and and uh yeah, but you know your kids generation they don't want to use the phone for voice i'm it's, aware of this yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, really, my kids yeah. are you know in a similar age bracket and they would far rather be texting than talking. And my kids text me from across the room. Well, <laughs> well and if I want my uh, kids to come to dinner, uh, sometimes instead of screaming, I will do that too. I guess we're all we're being assimilated. Yep. So <laughs> That's right. Hi, I'm Alan. I'm Chris. And we're the co-host of Foot Candle Films, a movie review and film discussion show here on TheMesh.TV. Each episode, we talk about some new movies, cover some film news, and have some recommendations. And trust us, we're just as likely to talk about the latest Jim Jarmusch film as we are the newest Transformers installment. Hold on, don't get too crazy. Uh, well, okay, maybe not that bad. But you can find our show and all our episodes on TheMesh.TV. Plus, you can subscribe to get new episodes delivered right to your computer or mobile device. We'll see you in the ticket line. Tammy, your book identifies a, a 3P profit formula to compete in today's marketplace. So tell us some about, about your 3P profit uh, uh, formula. 
Okay, so the three P's are three essential ingredients that I believe you need in today's era to be successful in the long run and profitable. So those three are the promise, people, and process. So we'll talk briefly about each of them. So the promise is what is it that motivates you and your business to do what it's doing? This is really important because it gives you a focus and it can inspire your staff and potentially it can inspire your customers. And if we have time, I can talk to you about how even really mundane businesses can figure out an inspirational promise. And we can get back to that if you want. So the promise is is really crucial as sort of that cornerstone. It also provides a filter if you're faced with a difficult, unexpected situation. If you know what your brand's values are, what you're trying to accomplish, it helps you decide what's the right course of action here. So that's the promise. Second part is people. And I divide that into internal people and external people. So on the internal side, obviously, your staff are crucial. If you do not have happy, satisfied staff who care about the organization, they're not going to be giving great service to your customers. So it's really, really important that you understand those people variables. I thought it was perfect. You started with that article you did today about, you know, how to become a better manager of people, because that is a hugely important thing. But then there are all kinds of external people who also really affect your brand and your ultimate profitability. So there's the obvious customers and prospects. But in addition to that, there's a whole range of others like suppliers. If you're not having good people relationships with your suppliers and they run into a production problem, guess who's going to be at the bottom of the list for getting the limited supply? Mm -hmm. Uh, Likewise, your distributors or franchisees or resellers, they're your public face. To the public, that's you. So you've got to make sure that those relationships are very strong. Even things like relationships with your your lenders, your funders, all those people relationships have an influence on how successful your business can be. So that's the people, the second piece. We got promise and people. Mm-hmm. And then third one, and this is where a lot of businesses fall down, especially as they're growing quick, is process. When you start off a business and it's just you or you and a couple of other people, you can sort of handle everything on the fly. But as your business is growing, it gets harder and harder to do that and ultimately impossible to do that. And so what happens is you end up often with just sort of processes you slip into, but those might not be good ones. And so what you really need to do is re-examine everything from the customer's point of view. So from the time a customer starts researching, buying whatever it is we have to sell, through to contacting you, purchasing it, and post-purchase support, how can we make our processes work better for the customer? And usually if you do that, you'll find it also makes them more efficient and effective internally. It's interesting you, you said that. Right, it, it will lead to profits. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, we're just having some conversations over the last few days about our processes at the college and working on making it a better experience for our customers, but also making it more efficient for us at the college. So it works in all organizations. Absolutely. So, so you started uh, with talking about the promise and, it, and, and, and how that's something that can inspire people both, I guess, inside and outside the organization. Uh, so I, I assume that uh, when you talk to people, it's very, also very important that they communicate that inside and outside the organization. Absolutely, for sure. They've got to understand it. And if you have not developed a clear 
promise. Get all your staff involved in developing it. This shouldn't be something that comes down from on high. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure when you're hiring new staff that they understand it and buy into it. Well, and uh, you know, getting staff to participate also is uh, probably going to increase their odds of buying into it as well. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, in, in, in your book, you talk some about how organizations can suffer from a silo effect and, and find themselves competing amongst one another for uh, finite resources within an organization. Now, what what uh, thoughts do you have on how organizations can get their staff on the same page there? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with shifting to a customer focus. So what happens is if you're hearing directly from the customer about what they're experiencing, it's easier then to go back to your folks internally and say, look, it may seem to be working within your area, but this is what's happening to the customer. The customer doesn't care just about your area, and this is what's turning them off. So seeing that picture from the customer perspective makes it easier for people to understand why they need to cooperate to make this work. But another thing you can do is potentially, if you're trying to convince people that they need to change the way they're doing things internally, often things that will make life better for the customer actually will help each individual unit achieve its goals. So let's say you've got production people who get rewarded on uh, production efficiency. Well, if you find out from the customers that there are there's a, a lot of a particular defect, mm-hmm. you can then go back to them with that knowledge, which helps them improve their effectiveness in production. So always try to look at what are the motivators for that unit or that department and how could improving it for the customer improve it for them and help them achieve their goals too. Well, I, I think one of the first things you said was uh, talking to customers is is so critical. I think talking across departments and communication and transparency uh, are also are also critical there. And and another part that's really critical, I think, is listening to your frontline staff, mm-hmm. because what often happens is a leader can become isolated. So especially if you've got a really strong personality, it becomes tempting for people to just tell you what they think you want to hear. And you need to create an environment where frontline staff chat with you regularly and feel comfortable doing so, so that you can find out what's really going on. Uh, we're, we're, we're in agreement on that. We, we, we uh, shared that uh, we, we uh, both have the challenge of uh, millennial children in our midst, uh, <laughs> and, and they're becoming uh, – such a big part they're they're becoming a big part of the workforce at this point in time which is something that uh, you touch on in your book uh, what challenges and opportunities uh, do you do you see this bringing to organizations when it comes to having them as uh, people within your organization as well as customers well i think that the big thing that's happening is because they are so digitally focused it means that even in the business to business world The buyers, increasingly, the biggest single group of buyers now are millennials, and they do not start by wanting to talk to a sales rep. They hate that. Mm -hmm. They start by doing their own research. So you've got to make sure that you provide all the information they would want online, easily accessible, easy to find. Then make it easy for them to contact you in ways other than just a phone call. 
Because again, I see in a lot of small businesses, especially small businesses uh, run by people of a certain age, like mine, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> there is a tendency to assume, oh, well, people will call me. But most now won't. The millennials won't. Mm-hmm. If they can't find what they want online or send you a quick email or text message or social media message and get a quick reply, they'll move on. They'll go to somebody else. So it's really changed that. And from a worker perspective, it means that you've got to accept the reality than a lot of us were accustomed to. So the reality is they will be using tools like Facebook at work, whether you want them to or not, accept it, give them guidelines, make it clear what's acceptable and what's not, but be flexible or they'll just turn off. Well, I, I think that uh, we're seeing that, and I guess you can either pull your hair out or you can, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if embrace it is the right word, but uh, <laughs> acknowledge <laughs> acknowledge it and, uh, and work with it because uh, you, you, otherwise you're, you're, you're really just going against the, uh, the flow of that river. It's not going to work for you. Correct. So. Well, well, Tamina, any any other thoughts that, uh, as far as startup businesses and how some of the information in People Shock might uh, impact them, or, or suggestions for them? Well, I think there's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of information in the book about each of these P's that we talked about, and the book is full of action steps and checklists and stuff that can help, as well as a bunch of case studies, many of which are with startup businesses. But one thing that I think might bear thinking about is sometimes there are subtle clues that there are things going wrong that could ultimately hurt the customer experience and hurt your business or kill it ultimately. So, you know, there's the obvious stuff about sales declining or whatever, you know, there's an issue there, but there are other things like, um, if for instance, the rate of product defects is increasing, there's something going wrong somewhere. So you need to be tracking that kind of thing and monitoring it. Mm-hmm. Or if production is often delayed because equipment needs repair, that will ultimately make customers unhappy because their products are delayed, but it's costing you money internally and causing problems internally. From a financial point of view, if you're not current on sending out invoices or tracking and following up on unpaid bills, you're going to hurt yourself financially and no longer be able to deliver great customer service. If you're finding it's getting harder and harder to recruit or keep good workers, or if your absenteeism rates are going up, there's a problem there. All these problems are things you've got to take note of. And then the final one that I think is really important is when it comes to leadership, if there's either a lot of agreement, a lot of disagreement, sorry, in the executive suite, or no disagreement, either of those indicate a problem. If there's a lot of disagreement, you probably have a dysfunctional team at the top. If there's no disagreement, they're probably afraid to tell you the truth. Well, and I think that transfers into um, to to many areas. I think that's um, that's good advice for us uh, to be thinking about. So we appreciate that, Tama. We we very much appreciate you joining us today. If people want to find out uh, more about you or more about your book, where should they be looking? Uh, they should go to frankreactions.com, and uh, they'll find information both about me and the book there. Uh, if they do enjoy podcasts, they might want to check out the Frank Reactions podcast, which is a weekly podcast focusing on particularly customer experience related issues. And of course, they can find me in the key social media platforms. Well, we very much appreciate uh, you joining us today. And uh, 
we look forward to 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 looking at the hear, hearing about the frank reactions and and i'll be listening to your podcast and uh we appreciate you joining our podcast today great thank you it's been a pleasure Thanks, Tama. To we appreciate it all right thank you all right well we're going to move into our small business of the month section where we try to okay. give some shout outs to small businesses each month that uh, we uh, have come across so gary what uh, what small business are you going to talk about this month well, Jeff, my small business of the month is Soaked LLC, which is a business close to our hearts because it is the business idea developed by our high school SkillsUSA entrepreneurship team. This team of four challenger high school students developed a product they call bath bombs, or what we would normally refer to as bubble bath. But their product is very special because it doesn't just get us clean. It helps alleviate our stress. You might ask how they do that, Jeff. How, well, do they, how do they do that, Gary? There you go. Well, their answer is the special ingredients they put into their bombs. It's actually not dangerous stuff. But oh, it's good, very special good. stuff. They have special oils and minerals that help reduce the stress. And they also have different scents like lavender and citrus to contribute to reducing our stress. They have standard products that they'll be producing every day for shipment. But they also customize their bath bombs to meet the needs of their customers. So they're tying in all those marketing key concepts. People will be able to add special minerals and scents just for just a little extra money. They're also developing distinctive packaging for gifts and party favors. And it's really exciting for you and me to see how this business idea developed over the last several months. And as you mentioned earlier, we're proud to say they finished fourth in the country. So congratulations and a shout-out to Sean, Brian, Jeremy, and Wes. Well, congratulations to them. Now, are you more of a, a citrus or a lavender guy? You know what? They really did... Uh, turned me on to this uh, concept because they brought us samples. They actually are making them. Mm -hmm. They dropped them in water to show us how they explode. I'm kind of leaning toward lavender right now. Uh, I'm more of a citrus guy myself. Well, they like citrus uh, just as much as the lavender. Okay. So uh, I guess we're both okay. Okay. All right. So uh, my small business of the month, you know, I, I, I... I, I, my, my perspective is that there, there are not that many new ideas out there, and most of the innovation comes from combining existing things or combining ideas in new and different ways, and that's uh, I think my small business in the month does that. It's called Open ROV, and ROV stands for Remotely Operated Vehicle, and they're building submarine drone kits. You know, you, you know, drones are such a hot thing flying around, and these, these guys are creating drones that go underwater. The business was started by two young engineers, Eric Stackpole and David Lang, and it's based in Berkeley, California. And they're, they're building on the airborne drone craze by creating accessible drones that can explore lakes, rivers, and oceans. They sold more than 3,000 of their first-generation submarine, which is able to navigate below the surface connected by a thin cable and controlled by software running on a tablet or smartphone. Their new product, which is called the Trident, will go on sale this fall for $1,499. It will travel at speeds of almost four knots underwater and will have a high-resolution camera and a lighting system as bright as car headlights. It will operate from a wirelessly connected buoy that'll be in the water with the, with the uh, Trident. 
If you go to their website, www.openrov.com, you can see a video of their new sub, the Trident, exploring Lake Tahoe in a wreck of a steamer that's there that's uh, around 500 feet below the surface. It's pretty cool. Uh, so that's you know, my, my small business this month, openrov.com or openrov. You can find them at www.openrov.com. So that's really cool. So it's check amazing them out. Like technology. So uh, we're being droning all over the place. Um, and we've been droning on for some time now. <laughs> yes, indeed. If you've got a suggestion for the Entre- Entrepreneur Exchange Small Business of the Month, please email them to us at eexchange at themesh.tv. And if we use your suggestion, you will get an Entrepreneur Exchange prize pack worth tens of dollars, uh, depending on what might be lying around in our office. But we always put some interesting things in there. So so send send us your suggestions. We want to thank Tema Frank. We urge you to check out her book, People Shock, uh, The Path to Profits When Customers Rule. Thank you to The Mesh. Download us at themesh.tv or subscribe at the iTunes store. And we'll look forward to seeing you next month. Have a great summer. Take care and stay cool. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.